himself, teaches them about the Spirit who is to come, prays in the garden, is betrayed, arrested, is falsely accused, is beaten, is scourged, is mocked, is crucified. The reality is that all of us know the story. We know Friday, and we knew Friday what was going to happen on Sunday. Even if you don't believe it, even if you're here and you wrestle with believing that someone could be raised from the dead, that God could actually come to the earth and, and live among us and love us the way that He does and give His life so graciously to us to forgive us our sins, even if you, even if you struggle to believe that, you knew what was coming this morning. You knew what we would be talking about most likely. But I want you to imagine for a minute being those disciples in the Scriptures, those who walked with Jesus, those who followed Him, those who put their hope in Him. They didn't have the rest of the story, or at least they didn't understand the rest of the story. They didn't spend their Saturdays saying, I cannot wait until tomorrow. They were grieving. Not just that, it says that they were hiding, hidden, hoping that they too wouldn't be arrested. Their king, their friend, their hope was dead. Saturday must have been the saddest day of their lives. But thankfully, Sunday comes. This morning, our text is Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. However, I love the resurrection. I love it. I know that you love it as well. And so today, I want to include, as I've done a couple of times before, not just what Matthew includes about the resurrection, but the chronological account from all of the gospel writers. So we're going to start with Matthew 28, because that's where it begins. But I'm going to continue reading and let you listen and so I'm not going to have you stand for the Scripture reading today because it is extensive today. But before we read the text, I want you to consider that day as we go through each one of them. Jesus died. He was dead, literally. The disciples are grieving. They didn't realize that He really was going to rise physically from the dead. When we left off on Friday evening in our Good Friday service, Jesus had died and Joseph gave his own tomb to bury Jesus in. And then we see at the end of Matthew 27 that guards are put at the tomb to make sure that his body is not stolen, that no one can come and take it away. Again, giving us assurance that that, that didn't happen. These guards are, are good at what they did. No one came and stole Jesus' body away. Something miraculous took place. There's hope. And so let's remember and rejoice as we hear the word of the Lord. Beginning with Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, 
Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. John chapter 20. Mary Magdalene ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. Luke 24, That very day two of them we're going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were walking with each other about, or they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. 
but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers How our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. And so he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. In John 20 on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. 
eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Christ is risen. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 5 through 7, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, Paul says. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. He rose, and it was not hidden. Your eyewitnesses to his majesty. In fact, what Paul's saying there in 1 Corinthians 15 is go ahead and check for yourselves. Go ask the hundreds who have seen him. If the resurrection was a myth, a story that was concocted by frightened disciples, it would have died out by the testimony of these 500. But there were these witnesses. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are still declaring his death and his life today. And so to remember that this morning, I want to highlight two things that the resurrection does. The resurrection accomplishes for us. First is this, the resurrection confirms that God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus for your sin. And secondly, the resurrection resurrection assures us of the hope that God will accept you as his son or daughter. The resurrection confirms that God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus for your sins. On the cross, Jesus absorbed the wrath of God. That's called propitiation. Jesus was the propitiation for our sins, the satisfier of God's wrath for our sins. God's wrath is so great that even his perfect son grieved in the garden as he faced the cup that would be poured out on him. You remember how he prayed, if this cup might pass from me. And that wrath is deserved by each and every one of us. And yet, do we realize the fullness of what we have been saved from? Colossians 2 verses 12 through 15 says, of us, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And the resurrection assures us of the hope that God will accept you as his son 
or daughter. What does that mean? It means several things. It means salvation. 1 Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Brothers and sisters, your sins are forgiven only if Christ has been raised from the dead. That's what Paul's point is in 1 Corinthians 15. And I encourage you, if you, if you aren't familiar with that text, read that on Easter. If Christ is still dead, our faith is futile. This preaching is in vain. It's a waste of of our time, Paul is saying. But, he says, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Romans 4, 23 through 25, but the words it was counted to him, Abraham, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses, and raised for our justification. You are justified. You are counted righteous only if Christ has been raised. Romans 8.1, we know there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul continues later in the chapter in verse 34. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. You and I have hope of never, ever being condemned by God only if Christ has been raised from the dead. We have hope of salvation because Christ has been raised and we have hope of life everlasting. 2 Corinthians 4.14 says, Knowing that he, who was raised, that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Acts 17 verse 31, Because he's affixed the day on which he will judge the world by his righteousness, by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So we know because of the resurrection, there's a day coming where he will judge those who live on the earth. That's a day that would cause us to tremble, but 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says, we wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. In Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. We are saved. We are rescued we have the hope of eternal life only because Christ lives. I want to say a few things in closing. Jesus comes to those who are brokenhearted. 
He loves those who are brokenhearted. He doesn't need you to come to him with some extravagant, supernatural faith. He doesn't need you to come to him with a faith that's as great as the person you see and know that goes to church and does all of the things. He doesn't, he doesn't need that. He just wants you to come. He simply wants you to come. If you consider the story of the resurrection, the stories of the resurrection, Matthew 28, verse 10, it says, The angel says, go, and you will see him. And that's true for you. When Jesus says, believe, there's a promise attached to that. Trust, believe in me, and you will see me. But you consider the story of Thomas and how he doubted. I mean, seriously doubted. This was a follower of Jesus, a disciple. He's one of the 12 apostles. Jesus comes and he misses it. And all of his friends are like, they get it. Like, Jesus is alive and they get it. And he's just like, I. And he makes a statement that, honestly, I think in churches we'd be like, I mean, it's a pretty, like, you got to prove it to me. Unless I literally see and literally touch the holes in his hands, the hole in his side, I will not believe. And honestly, I think some of you probably can resonate with that. You probably would say, yeah, I get that. I understand that because I'm struggling with doubt. And the one thing we must see from the story is that Christ came to him in his weakness. No one said to him, just believe it. Christ loved him. And came to him. Mary at the tomb, weeping, feeling lost. I think this might be my favorite res resurrection story because I cannot comprehend the feeling when Jesus says, Mary. There's a love in that that I just, I cannot even fathom. Jesus tenderly calls her by name. Peter, consider Peter, had denied Jesus three times. And we know from the text that the third time that he denies Jesus and the rooster crows that Jesus turns and looks at him and he flees weeping and grieving. That's a sorrow that is deep. A sorrow that maybe some of you resonate with. And notice from the text, Jesus goes to him specifically 
We don't get that part, but it tells us he's shown himself to Peter. Jesus goes to him and shows him, I'm alive. There's grace in that. There's grace in knowing that no matter what you have done as you come this morning, no matter what you've done, whether you've denied Christ, whether you've disowned Christ, whatever it is, that he is merciful. And his desire is that you see that he's alive and that he loves you. You consider the disciples on the road to Emmaus broken hearted. Christ finds them and reveals himself to them. There is hope in the resurrection. There's hope in Jesus. We're going to move into a time where we take the Lord's Supper together. What a blessing that we can remember the truth of the resurrection, that we have the scriptures and that we can remember the hope we have because Christ suffered and died, was raised and is coming again. Paul tells us that as often as we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So there's this forward thinking in the Lord's Supper, this expression of hope in the one who is alive and who is coming again. We believe that Jesus' body was literally broken and we believe that his blood was literally poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. And we proclaim this until he comes because we believe he is alive. Not just that, but we know from the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, it says how he was revealed to them in the breaking of bread. There's hope in the Lord's Supper. That if we come in faith, believing your body was broken, and we remember your blood was poured out for the forgiveness of my sins, the forgiveness of our sins, and we remember, we proclaim that through the partaking of the bread and cup, that he's known to us, that he reveals himself to us through that. That's what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As often as you eat the bread, you participate in the body of Christ. Drink the cup, you participate in the blood of Christ, you fellowship. Imagine that after the angels spoke with the women there, there was an unbelievable anticipation as they hoped to see him. And so let's prepare our hearts to partake together with that kind of joyful anticipation this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your goodness and thank you for your grace. You're so kind to us, Lord. Kind to show us yourself through the scriptures. Kind to love us. No matter our circumstances, how we've come in this morning, where we are in believing or not believing, you love us. You desire for us to come. 
You desire for us to know that you live and that you forgive, that you save. You care for those who are brokenhearted. We pray that you'd help us. If there's any here, Father, who don't yet know you, I pray that their focus and their desire right now would be in that, that they would partake of you, that they would believe in you. As those of us who trust in you and love you and, and gladly proclaim your death and resurrection as we partake of the bread and the cup, I pray that you would bring faith to those who don't yet know. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.